Warning. Explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Scott David Chase. This is my truth. Tell me yours on this episode. Uh, I spoke over the phone with author Jacqueline Benson. Uh, Jackie is a longtime friend of mine. Um, uh, she has been on the podcast before a couple of years ago when we talked about her first novel, The Smoke Hunter. Uh, she has just published her second novel, The Fire in the Glass. And, um, you know, we talked about self-publishing as opposed to releasing through a publisher and also, um, you know, releasing a book during the coronavirus quarantine, balancing family life and creative life, so on and so forth. Um, you know, I've, I've always enjoyed my conversations with Jackie. And as I said, in this conversation, it was basically just an excuse to talk to my friend, but you know, uh, it's always nice to talk about, um, stuff that she's working on and stuff that she has done. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Jacqueline Benson. Is, is that uh, your, your kids or your husband that you anticipate hollering at? I don't know. It could be either. Nice. <laughs> nice. This is only the, um, you're on speakerphone now. This is only the second time I've recorded uh, this podcast over the phone rather than in person. Um, ah. ob- you know, obviously with uh, the world's current circumstances, it's sort of a necessity. Um, but it's kind of like against the the nature of why I started this podcast. So my, my decision for like, while we're quarantining is the only people that I was going to talk to were, would be people that I've already had on the podcast and people that right. I know pretty well. So, cause it's sort of like, you know, it's different when you're talking on the phone or talking via like zoom or Skype, as opposed to sitting in person, talking to someone face to face. Absolutely. So, but I mean, yeah. you and I have had, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of conversations. So I feel like this would be true. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like I, I, I know you better than most people I've talked to on this podcast. So I'm game. Yeah. I say, sure. (laughs) (laughs) Um, happy Memorial day to you. Um, yes. uh, uh, Is it weird to wish people happy Memorial day? I feel like it kind of is, you know, it's the, it's the day where you, where you honor the dead right <laughs> the, those who sacrifice their their life in combat you uh, honor them by you know eating barbecue and you know buying used cars right it's it's weird i was just thinking about it this morning that this is the first memorial day in like or memorial day weekend in like 10 years that uh i haven't gone to the movies but you know oh yeah i you know, it's been several months since I've gone to the movies. I should have checked. I don't even remember what the last movie I saw in the theater was, but it was something non, uh, it was something that, you know, didn't have much of an impact on me. Cause it was, you know, like either late February or early March, which is typically the dumping ground for the studios for stuff that they know is garbage or don't really think is going to work. And, uh, they just kind of like throw it out there. So, yeah. Yeah. But, um, I don't know. It's, uh, how is, how's your world been, uh, in the past few months? It's been 
fine. Yeah. You know, I mean, we really can't complain too much. Um, we're all healthy. We're still employed. Yeah. Um, my, my kids are at an age where being stuck home with each other and mom and dad doesn't sound like punishment to them. They right. think it's kind of fun. Sure. Uh, so it, you know, I, I'm missing people and I'm missing getting out and, you know, you just like going to a restaurant and having dinner and things like that. There's a lot of stuff I'm missing, but I, I you know, I'm a writer. We're homebodies sure. in normal times. Right. So we're pretty well equipped for quarantine. How, um, how much, how much do you think your kids understand what's going on? I mean, how much have you been able to explain to them and how much, uh, you know, do they get hmm. it? They get, they get it. Um, you know, they know enough about how, what germs are, for yep. example. Um, it's kind of a blanket term, but they know what germs are and that you have to wash your hands and try not to, you know, cough on top of other people or wipe your nose on, on them. Um, so they, they get that and they, they're aware that there's a germ going around right now that we just have to be very careful not to spread. Yeah. And that's why we can't visit a lot of people or see a lot of people. They get bummed about it. You know, they, they admit there are people they miss just like the rest of us. Um, but they'll talk about that, that darn virus, you know? <laughs> um, but so I think they understand it. They're not terrified of it. Thank God. Yeah. You know, I didn't want that, but I wanted them to have a real idea of why life had changed for a while. And they're just really looking forward to when it gets back, you know, to when they, when they can kind of do all the things they remember. Um, but they're happy. They're happy in the meantime. I don't think they're going to look back on this and have sad memories. That was my big thing. I didn't want my kids to look back on this and feel like it was a sad time. Sure. You know? Sure. That that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, I, I can only imagine how much they're looking forward to, to getting back to normal. I mean, I just think about how the average adult is feeling about that. And also knowing just the passage of time where two months, these past two months have, you know, felt like an eternity to a lot of people and uh -huh. I can't even imagine how long it's felt for a child. Um, you know, I think it's the opposite, Scott. Really? I think, I think that kiddos, um, are more adaptable mm -hmm. than we are and their patterns aren't as set. So when things change, they are quicker to just roll with it and to think of it as a new normal we have a longer memory. We have a deeper perspective on things and we're a lot more crotchety and set in our ways. So I think our grief about change yeah. is, is deeper. Um, I think that, I think the kids are, you know, some of them won't even remember it or if they do, they'll just remember spending a lot of time with mom and dad, you know, yeah. or they'll remember it through the stories that adults tell about it as opposed to it being something that they even frame as all that different from normal life. Yeah. Uh -huh. At least when they're little, like the teen teenagers are probably having a terrible time because they're moody even when things are great. <laughs> now they have more reasons to be moody. So. Sure, sure. I guess that's a good good perspective on it. Um, I remember this is you know three or four years ago whenever it came out. If I wanted uh -huh. to take the time to figure it out, I I could, but it doesn't really matter. But I remember when I saw. Um, the force awakens, you know, the first Disney yeah. star Wars movie and sorry, spoiler to anyone listening, Han Solo <laughs> dies in that one. Um, but I remember, you know, being visibly shaken by that. And then the, I think the third time I saw it, I saw it with some friends who had some young kids who grew up loving star Wars and like 
with that scene coming up, I was like, oh no, they're going to be devastated. Devastated. And, uh-huh. you know, the, the, when it happened, they were shocked, but then they were fine. And I was like, yeah. oh, right. I'm carrying all the baggage of being a, an adult, but also someone who has literally known this character my entire life. Exactly. You know, where it, this, it's, it's just something that happened, um, uh-huh. in, in a movie. Uh, so I was just like, oh yeah, they're fine. Yeah. 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 So we wor- we worry about the kiddos, but it's, you know, I think they're, as long as they know that they have a good support system around them, yeah. I think they're, they're cool. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Right on. Right on. Mm-hmm. Uh, you also, um, you know, this is my terrible segue. You also, during this time, uh, <laughs> published your second novel, The Fire in the Glass. I did. Yes. I, I published it on May 1st. So right in the middle of this quarantine well probably actually it's not going to end up being the middle sure. I, we all know we're in this for longer but yes in, the, in in during it was a during quarantine book release um and you know I, which is fine honestly for an indie publisher sure um there were things that i couldn't do that i might have you know local events you know maybe doing an opening or or stuff but I, i'm the primary market for those of us that are self-publishing is really electronic anyway and digital anyway. Yeah. Um, so it hasn't really changed my strategy much at all. Um, and I don't think it, I don't think it had a big negative impact on the book launch either. Um, I think, I think people were just as receptive to it now as they would have been had everything been the same. So, uh, there's not much, that's not much of a dramatic story for your podcast. I'm I'm definitely not digging for (laughs) digging for drama. I mean, the truth of the (laughs) truth of the matter is, um, you know, uh, getting you on the podcast is always just an excuse to, to hang out with you. But, um, uh, I was like, well, she's got a book coming out. That is a perfect reason to to talk about it. You know, uh, I'm happy for the excuse on both fronts. So, you know. And I mean, I was, I was genuinely excited for this to come out. I remember mid January, a friend of mine, you know, had asked me kind of like a blanket statement. She's like, what are the things, the tangible things you're most looking forward to this year? And, um, uh, one of the weird ones was, you know, I was actually excited to not have to be excited about a star Wars movie this year. Um, (laughs) Just because, I mean, I and obviously I love Star Wars, but I was sort of at the point of exhaustion from Disney doing five and you know six years. But uh, I, one of the things that I said I was looking forward to was uh, your next book. Um, you know, I really, really enjoyed the Smoke Hunter, and it's one of those ones that, like, um, I mean, I remember, uh, and you know, I've shared this story with you before, but I, I, I remember going into a Barnes and Noble and being able to purchase a book that a friend of mine had written, uh, from like a, a, a national, uh, uh, retailer. And, you know, this time, uh, I, I had to do, uh, the devil's bidding and order it from Amazon to get my physical copy. <laughs> but, um, and I know that, uh, I can get it directly from you as well, but, um, yeah, it was something that was very exciting for me was, uh, uh, you could get it from Barnes and Noble too if you wanted to. You just have to special order it. Sure. And they have it at uh, and they have it at Water Street as well. That's the that's the thing about the indie stuff. So I mean, Smoke Hunter came out and we it ended up on a lot of shelves physically. Yeah. 
But a lot of those copies ended up going right back to the publisher because there just wasn't enough marketing. There wasn't enough work done to sell them yeah. once they were there. They were relying on people just browsing bookshelves and, and thinking, oh, this looks interesting, mm-hmm. which is, you know, that's fine. But that that's not like the most reliable marketing strategy. Yeah. Um, so uh, with with the way I'm doing it, myself, you know, the print on demand technology has gotten generally very fast. It's slower right now because of COVID, but generally it's very fast turnaround. The quality is excellent. You're not paying up front for a print run. Um, And you're part of the national distribution system. So any bookstore can get your book. Uh, If somebody wants a print copy in Toledo, they can go to their local bookstore and they can get it. Um, And I can... It just it allows me to with a low overhead to still to still access that print market. Yeah. Um, which not all not all indie writers bother doing it, but to me it was worth a little extra overhead because I know that a lot of the readers that I have that are real loyal followers they love print yeah. still. So I didn't want them to be up a creek um, on how they could read this book. Um, are you finding though um, the majority of your readers are embracing the digital format i think at the moment we're probably 60 40 digital to print okay but that will change so i haven't started marketing it really aggressively in print yet because to make your investment in marketing worthwhile um sorry marketing and digital to make the investment in marketing worthwhile you really have to have a couple of books out yeah. Because every customer you convert costs you money. If you can convert that person and they're buying three books because they fall in love with the first one and want to read all of them, you may, your return on investment is a lot higher than if they buy just the one book because that's all they can get a hold of. Yeah. Um, I mean, a Smoke Hunter is still out and available, but I don't control pricing or marketing for it. So I can't really rely on readers to sort of buy through to that book. Yeah. Um, so... I, when I have the other two, because this is going to be a trilogy, okay. so when I have the other t- other two books out, I'll be going a lot more hard with the marketing for digital. Yeah, and I I think at that point it, it will be you know maybe five percent print, ninety five percent digital is yeah. what I would predict, and that's how it is for most indie authors. Um, you know, we the print market is still definitely dominated by the big traditional presses. Yeah, and I think it's it's the top you know, 1% authors like your James Patterson and uh, Stephen King that people will buy like a print hardcover when it comes out or the books that end up at the top of that, you know, the, the book club hunger games um, for, for, you know, which book is going to be the one that all the book clubs are reading. This right. Year. Right. Uh, which is not probably my market because <laughs> I write schlocky, shameless genre fiction, which is, <laughs> You know, I'm sure book clubs would love it, but it's not usually what they go for because it doesn't even pretend to have any kind of edifying or moral value. Okay. I mean, I, you know, I, that, <laughs> that is certainly one way to look at it. And I, I, I definitely would never, never correct you on that, but, uh, uh, <laughs> do you find edifying and moral value in my book, Scott? <laughs> I do, but I'm of questionable morals myself. So, you know, well then see, it's a good fit. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> well, I, uh, I've kind of always been, uh, you know, drawn towards uh, smart, take no shit women, both in literature, music and in my social circles. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, you're certainly, uh, you know, the the 
protagonists in your book certainly fit fit in with that nicely. So that's definitely uh, going to be a consistent factor in my writing. Yes, they're going. It, my books will feature smart, take no shit women Excellent. because it's much more fun to write about them. Sure, sure. Um, you know, you, you were just talking about um, you know the the sort of the thinking behind um, marketing digital and stuff like that. And, you know, I know your, your, your brain is a, is a very active, uh, mind that can also, you know, do multitasking very well, better than most people. But when you, it's, uh, it's going downhill, Scott, <laughs> <laughs> middle age shit, no good for your multitasking. <laughs> uh, I, I understand, but you're, you're better at it than most people that I know. Uh, but when you started writing, when you, when you started working on The Smoke Hunter in earnest, was that something that you even thought you were going to have to consider? Because obviously The Smoke Hunter, you, you, it was published by a traditional publisher where this, uh-huh. this you, uh, you self-published. So obviously you had to do a lot more thinking on that for this. I, so I think what I was expecting with The Smoke Hunter was that either the publisher would be doing some real work to market it, um, or they would just go ahead and invest in me for two or three books to see if the series could build momentum, you know, and they didn't really end up doing much of either of those things. And I I gather that this is often, um, what new writers and mid-list writers experience from the big publishers these days is they, they put all their resources into marketing a top handful of books that they've identified early on are going to be their big sellers because that is where they make most of their money. And everybody else that they buy and publish is throwing spaghetti at the wall. They're just, they're, they're keeping their hands on stuff that they think may, might have a chance of being a breakout. Yeah. But it's like they're waiting for lightning to strike for it to happen yeah. on a lot of these books, you know, and there's they'll pick a handful that they'll really they'll turn into bestsellers. Um, but a lot of the others just end up kind of malingering there. And I know a lot of authors in the traditional world are basically taking the, the approach and the attitude now that they are going to have to create a marketing budget and do their own marketing um, and just because that that will be how they can convince the publisher that it's worth investing more in their stuff is by showing that it will sell. Um, and I at that point, I kind of figure, well, what are you paying? You know, what are you giving up a huge percentage of your royalties for um, if you're going to have to put up the money for the marketing? You know, because the production costs of the book, you know, they're they're there. But they're minimal Yeah. when you think about it in terms of investing in a new business. They're minimal. And if you know how to work with freelancers, you can hire people that know what the hell they're doing. I mean, you know, it, rather don't, I, I'm, I would always caution people against DIYing their covers and, and book layout and things like that unless they really know what they're doing. But sure. If you can do it yourself and you and you're going to have to do the marketing part anyway, which is the bulk of the work and the bulk of the investment after writing the book, why give up like you know, anywhere from 40 to 60% of your royalty. Sure. Yeah. Um, Speaking of cover design, I, um, you know, I couldn't help, um, but uh, mention the fact that uh, the cover for uh, fire in the glass was uh, the, um, the artwork and the design for it was our mutual friend, Sarah argue worked Uh on that. Um, How much, cause I know, I know with the Smoke Hunter, you had different images for the U.S. and the European release. Um, how much more uh, 
or you know how much more input did you have obviously with this being self-released i'm assuming you had all the input for this uh Mm -hmm. this cover compared to the smoke hunter What, what was that process like so the smoke hunter actually did have the same cover in the UK and the U S but, um, I had, and they did give me input, you know, uh, they say that when you're an author and you're publishing traditional with your cover art and it's so cover art is so important because again, it's that first impression uh, when people are browsing the cover cover signals so much about genre and story and the quality and professionalism of the work. So it's, it's, it's really, I mean, it's, it's as important as what's between the pages, because you could have a great book with a crappy cover and no one will look at it. Um, So with the Smoke Hunter, they gave me a draft cover and invited my feedback. And they ended up taking pretty much all my feedback. Um, And the uh, UK editor was actually the one who led the design process. The US, uh, you know, had had done a cover that was just kind of terrible. And I gave them feedback on it. But then the UK kind of took it and ran with it in the US publisher. They're affiliated. Um, They're under the same parent company. They ended up just using the UK, what the UK team came up with. And the UK editor was really great. She had great ideas that she discussed with me from the get-go. I said, I think you're on the right track with that. And I think when they combine that with the feedback that I had given to that early draft that came out of the US publisher, um, they landed someplace really cool. Yeah. Uh, Looking back on it, I mean, I love that cover. Looking back on it, um, I wonder if it needed to, if it was, if it was signaling the wrong genre a little bit Sure. Um, for the market. You know, I think this book, it's, it's tricky because I write adventure stories and adventure doesn't really exist as a market right now outside of YA. Mm-hmm. You know, you get a lot of young adult fiction that falls into that category. Um, but in adult, in adult books, it's all thrillers. And this was not like a, this isn't a Dan Brown thriller, yeah. you know, it's way goofier than that and more fun. I mean, Dan Brown's fun. Don't get me wrong. I, <laughs> I thoroughly enjoy it, but, um, his stuff's great. Uh, but this, you know, different kind of, it different vibe, just a totally different vibe. It's not taking itself itself anywhere near as seriously. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that wasn't communicated in the cover art. So with Sarah, uh, I basically just gave her free reign. So yeah, I had control over everything. I could have told her, I want this, I want that. And no, you know, I, I could have shot down her ideas and put my own in there instead, but I hired her because she's a genius and yeah. I knew that she would come up with something way better than what I did. And she did. Uh, so th- that was basically all her and she would bounce ideas off me and I'd go, everything you say sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> go ahead and do that. Uh, and she did, and it was gorgeous. So I'm very happy with how that came out. Yeah, it's a beautiful cover. Um, yeah, I really enjoy it. Um, mm-hmm. So um, correct me if I'm wrong, but like when we we spoke a couple years ago about the Smoke Hunter, there was sort of the idea that it the possibility of it becoming a series where, um, you know, and you just mentioned that the fire in the glass is the first in a trilogy. Um, is there uh, obviously where, um, smoke hunter, you know, went through a publisher, do they still have like first option to publish additional stories in that series? If you so choose, How, not anymore. Okay. Cause that I, they asked me for a sequel and I gave them one and then they, they flaked out on the contract. They never, they never closed the deal. So gotcha. they've had their first option. Um, I could write more characters with that book today if I wanted to. Yeah. Problem is why it's very hard to market these sequels if I don't control pricing 
on the first book in the series because that's usually your loss leader. It's usually the one you use to kind of capture interest in the books. Okay. Um, so I I have plans for for um, three more stories with those characters yeah. all plotted out. You know, the books are all all sketched out. I know where and who and what would happen in them. Um, they'll be delightful. I do plan on writing them at some point. Um, either the publisher might gain interest in more books in the series if the Fire and the Glass and, and the Charismatic series start selling well, and we and then numbers for Smoke Hunter go up as a result of people finding me through those books and sure. then continuing to read. And if it doesn't, um, I can apply to get the rights back to it myself. And then just republish it and start writing the other ones. So either way, I, I do intend to to keep that story going. Um, you know, it, people people will have been inc- incredibly patient about it already, uh, and probably will have to be more patient because I'm I'm going to see this series through first before I switch gears. But uh, it's it's definitely still my plan. Yeah, right on. Excellent. There's um, lots of exotic exotic locations and romantic entanglements that have to be explored in that, <laughs> in that world. So now for the other uh, the other two books in this trilogy, mm-hmm. how how plotted out uh, do you have the stories already? Like, do you already know how this is going to conclude, or is it kind of um, got basic uh, thumbnail sketches? Uh, I mean. Book two is mostly outlined. Okay. Um, the, the, the plot is established and I'm mapping scenes right now. Book three, I have the main conflict yeah. that I want to explore. I know when it takes place um, and where, but I don't know how it ends yet. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's fine with me because each of these books, like the charismatics as a series is uh, they're standalone stories. You know, the, I think the series will be read best in order because the characters really grow and develop a lot through it, but the plots are self-contained. So I, I'm not starting an arc with the fire in the glass that then I will conclude at the end of book three. If I was doing that, I would have had to know where it was going before I wrote the first page. Um, I'm not the kind of writer where I can just sort of meander my way to the finish. Yeah. That actually drives me a little bonkers. <laughs> uh, I need to know where it's going. So because the stories are each self-contained, I can do that. I can I can tackle them each uh, one at a time. Um, and the characters will continue to grow and evolve through them. And that I can discover as I'm going along, you know, because that doesn't necessarily have to be something where you know from the get-go, sure. you know, where these people are going to end up. You can, you can let them live a little bit and surprise you as you go. Yeah. Um, you have a real gift for writing you know historic adventures um you know that take take place in the time b- before now um mm-hmm. do you ever um like w- when you're w- when you first get the idea for a story um you know do you ever have stories pop into your head that are set in present day or uh, i mean i know you have a real love of history and that's something that you know, really kind of drives you, but do you, um, do you ever think you, you might have a contemporary story in you? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a possibility. Um, I think if I did go that route, I'd probably do them under another name. Sure. Um, 
because it would be different enough from the stuff I write now that you, you'd kind of want to rebrand it. But yeah, I have a couple on my back burner that are contemporary um, or, or near contemporary. There's like, there's one story that I have that I'd love to write at some point that I think would probably be set in the eighties, yeah, maybe like the mid eighties in Cornwall. Um, I love the, I love the, periods before cell phones sure so much more fun to plot when people can't just easily communicate with each other <laughs> yeah that's um, otherwise you got to like make signal drop all the time yeah you know <laughs> yeah and that becomes such a such a kind of a tired cliche in and of itself i mean right i have noticed over the past decade or so in film that a lot more stuff is taking place you know early nineties or before simply because so many different uh, plot elements would easily be solved with two cell phone calls. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, the ones that the the movies that are contemporary and and build a lot of tension and suspense with the modern world that we live in, I think that's great when they do it, when they do it well. Um, and they don't even have to be like super intellectual to do it, to do it and make it fun, you know? Um, and it's funny too that I that I say cell phones take the drama out of things because in real life they're like a huge source of drama. Sure. <laughs> but just not the kind of drama you would want to spend time reading about. Yeah, it's um it's funny too because, you know, I mentioned something would be solved with two cell phone calls, but there it's so rare that people actually speak on cell phones these days or at least mm-hmm. you know, uh, it's it's mostly through text. I mean, talking to you on the phone right now is probably like one of like three phone calls I've had in the last seven days. Um, uh, so much is through text and, you know, speaking of films, that's one of the things that drives me nuts when it's used as a plot point and, you know, that kind of tired thing of showing the text on screen, but it completely takes me out of the visual medium. If I got to stop and read it. Yeah, I agree. And that's the thing they're going to, they don't, they could totally text if, if you were doing a film that was realistic but it's um you know it's way boring like what do you want to why do you want to like look at a screen watching somebody tap into a phone unless you're building tension around the mystery of what they're what they're sending right you know uh it's like okay this is this is boring so yelling into a cell phone seems to be the the more exciting way that they're used in modern thrillers sure sure yeah it is or the cell phone drops into a puddle or gets crushed by something right you know right yeah yeah, it is funny, though, because uh, you're absolutely right. Like most of the drama that I've had in my life in the last, you know, l- last year, per se, has been, you know, through text specifically. So, mm-hmm. you know, because so much of it, like uh, the the nuance of conversation, uh, you know, the tone of someone's voice, sarcasm, stuff like that is totally lost in in text. Yeah. And then everybody ends up like misinterpreting what they're what other people are saying. Yeah. And then you end up you end up in drama rama. But again, like you could write a story. Some other writer maybe could write a great story set around, you know, misinterpreting people's tones and test and text messages. But it is not me. Yeah. Yeah. That, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm sure there is an amazing writer out there that would completely prove me wrong. But that sounds so boring to me to read. <laughs> yeah. Not not that much fun. Yeah. No, no. Oh, yes. I'll set my stories in period. 
them, most likely. Um, and part of the reason I write is because I can't afford to travel and they haven't invented time machines yet. I really like to go put my brain in different times and places, and this is how I get to do so. Sure. You know, they they say write what you know, and I'm like, God, who would want to do that? Yeah. You know? <laughs> that sounds boring. Yeah. Um, so if you if you did have, let's say you had access to a time travel device, a machine and your actions, you know, taking the whole, um, the thing that's always brought up in time travel about how, what you do here will affect everything. It say if, if you were just an observer and you couldn't actually interact, but you could, you know, have a front row seat to any time period in history for let's say seven days, what time would you pick to visit? Um, do I have immunity from violent death and disease? Yeah, you're almost like a. It's almost like a ghost of Christmas past thing. You're 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 there as a an observer, but you know they're not aware of you. So I'm just looking at it, though. I don't get to like hang out and do things. No, let's go crazy. Let's say you get to hang out and do things, but you're you're immune from from the dangers of it. Do I have a sense of smell? Uh, yes. A lot of yes. a lot of history I think was way smellier yeah. than we think it is. Yeah. You know, even like periods of time where you're like where everything seems very sophisticated. Mm-hmm. Like I remember my uh remember my great aunt, I interviewed her when I was in fourth grade for like a history project and uh she talked about how the greatest invention of modern time was deodorant. Sure. Um because she grew up in the she was born in like the in the twenties yeah, and they didn't have deodorant. And you think of like all those flappers and people drinking in like, you know, speakeasies. Oh yeah. None of them with deodorant. Yeah. Like, damn, you know? Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, so maybe, maybe I would go to like the Viking, uh, the Viking era in, in like Scandinavia yeah. because I heard they are really good with hygiene. Interesting. Interesting. So they wouldn't be as smelly. Uh, and you'd have lots of violence and drama and interesting things. Uh, but you know, yeah. But if you're, if you've got immunity from getting hacked with an ax and you have to have a sense of smell, that might be a good one. That's the way to go. Yeah. That's interesting. Interesting thought. Um, (laughs) I had not even considered the whole, uh, smell aspect of it, but you're, you're absolutely right. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, I think we're living in like the least smelly period of human history. Yeah. Which is, it's funny. Cause every once in a while when I'll encounter someone who's particularly odiferous, who's it's not like, <laughs> it's not like they just came out of, you know, came out of working outside all day and like, clearly like they smell because they've been hard at work, but someone's just like stinky. I'm like, what, what, what's your deal? Like, what, like, do you not know what's up? Is there no, is there nobody who cares about you? But most of the time it's almost like, it's it's just sort of uh, indifference to those around them that uh, they're just right. like oh, that's fine. That's cool. Yeah. They're entitled. Yeah, you know. But uh, but yeah, man, it's uh, so yeah. That's the thing we don't think about in history. You know, like I'm I'm pretty sure the Edwardian period that yeah. I write about, like yeah. it's probably less stinky than the Victorian period. Period. But sure. I bet it was still pretty stinky. You know. In your estimation, what is the stinkiest period in history? I I'm gonna I'm gonna say probably medieval Europe. Fair enough. Yeah. With all the death and decay and yeah, 
death decay, no, no sewage yep. technology. Like, you know, like if you went to, if you went to like Baghdad during the same time period, it would be, it'd be like sick. It'd be awesome. Yeah. You know, um, everything, everything was like very sophisticated and, and classy and cultured. <laughs> and then you go to like France and it's just terrible. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, even, even now today, um, particularly, uh, you know, my, my, my experience, cause one of my brothers lives in Eastern Europe. Um, mm-hmm. the, the amount of bathing that is done there compared to here is, is not as much, but, um, it's, it's not as stinky as I think a lot of Americans assume it is, but there is, there is a, I don't know, there's, there's a general kind of low level funk on a lot of people that I've encountered there. That's yeah. You know, it's just different. This is the other thing though. If we want to go on a total rabbit hole here is, uh, there's a lot of debate as to whether our, our super hygienic modern culture actually makes people sicker. Sure. We got like more allergies and you know, our immune systems aren't as built up, Yep. you know? So I just, you know, it's, it's a complicated, it's a complicated thing. Yeah. There's got to be, it's, it's balance in everything. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, so you, you know, you, you, you said you've got the next book, uh, outlined out. Um, and obviously you're, you're a busy person, um, you know, w- working and, um, having two younger children and, you know, married, um, do you, do you have any sort of sense on timeline for, um, when the next book may get written or, you know, are you kind of like, are you not thinking about that at all right now? Cause the fire and glass is just out and you're kind of, Oh no, I'm thinking about it, dude. Okay. I want, I want that next book out. I'm hoping, um, I keep getting faster at doing this. Yeah. Like it's, it's definitely, it's a, it's a learning curve. It's figuring out what your process is. It's, it's learning where your time sucks are and how to avoid them. For me, a huge one is research. Mm-hmm. I will spend all day, going off on a research jag and that I, for something I don't even end up using in the book. So learning, learning how to kind of discipline myself on that front and, and write more efficiently. Um, so I'm hoping to have the sequel done and out and published by this time next year. Okay. Um, if I can get it done sooner than that, that would be even better, but but at least by this time next year is my goal. And I think, I I think I can get there, you know? I know uh, back back in the day when uh, when you and I first knew each other when we were first uh, uh, first roommates, you know, more than a decade ago. Uh, you did a lot of writing um, when you worked uh, a desk at a hotel. Um, yeah. And yeah. Uh, where where and when do you do you usually do the physical writing now? Well, I am lucky to have a job where I work. Um, not full full time, yep. so I'm able to and, and make enough money to pay my bills. So I'm I'm able to kind of uh, finagle things so that I have writing time during the week. Yeah. Um. I I do it on the weekends. Yep. I write in you know not every night, but I try to do a couple nights a week where I write in the evenings when my kids are either occupied with movies or you know asleep. Yeah. Um. But you do you have to steal you have to steal a lot of time. 
Uh, and, and it's trying to find that balance where, you know, you're spending as much time as you can on it yeah. to keep things moving, but without like burning yourself out, sure. you know, um, because if you, you know, some people can handle more of it than others, but yeah, like you said, I'm still working a job. I still have kids and a family and a marriage. So, um, I, I, I have to find that balance, Yeah, but it can be tough because it's the thing I want to do. Like it's my birthday next week. Yep. My husband was asking me what I wanted to do on my birthday, and I'm like, I'd love to sit on the screen porch with my laptop for like four hours yep. and just write. <laughs> it's like, you want to work on your birthday? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> well, I mean, you're, I, I don't know, you're one of the one of the people that I know who's uh, always occupying yourself with for lack of a better term, like important stuff, you're always doing something that seems to matter. I mean, I, you know, I've got a few different artist friends who are always like many, many, uh, irons in the fire and you're Uh always working on like, but you always seem to be happiest when you're busy. So that makes complete sense to me. Yeah, I definitely am. Like if, if I'm in a situation where, so at the start of this quarantine, yeah, I mean, emotionally and, and intellectually, I was just fried and I was not getting a lot of stuff done. And that was then that was like killing my soul a little bit. Yeah. You know, I, I need to feel like I'm making forward progress um, and, and just just digging into a project and continuing to unravel that knot or or it does. It gets me I start to get down about it. So, um, yeah, my, my ideal vacation would be like somebody would just rents me a cabin for a week and I just sit there and eat good food and write, Yeah, you know, but I don't even care where it is. Yeah. <laughs> I'll go anywhere, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, I've, I, I think you and I have talked in the past, but I've, I've had this like fantasy in my head of like having like a, a creator's retreat for like a week or more where just, you know, like a handful, maybe half a dozen at most creators, stay in a a cabin for a week and like have breakfast and dinner together. But then the rest of the day is theirs to go and create. And they kind of share a little bit of what they worked on each day. But, um, you know, having a little, yeah, having a little money to, to, to facilitate that is a necessity. So, you know, we'll see maybe someday. Yeah. It's, you know, you keep chasing the dream, man. Yeah. You know, baby steps, you get there eventually. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've been after this one for, I'd say, a solid 20 or so years now. Yeah. So it uh, it takes time. But, I'm, you know, you got, as long as you're enjoying the ride in the meantime, and I guess that's what I was meaning about, like, as an artist, not burning yourself out. Like, sure. set a pace, set a pace where you're making progress and you feel good about how you feel good about how well you're moving along. Yeah. You know, but be generous to yourself about the fact that if you're trying to make a living, like actually to make a living in the arts or build a career in the arts. It's just, it, you know, you can get the lightning strike and that's great, but for everybody else, it just takes time. It's a slog. Yeah. So if, you know, if you can be setting that marathon pace, um, then, and you have the patience to, and the faith in your, in your talent and your drive and your, and your purpose in doing this, like you'll get there, Yeah. you know, and that I have that faith. It gets shaken definitely is shaken. Yeah. Um, but so far it hasn't shaken to the point where I'm ready to give this up. Cause at the end of the day, like I was saying, there's nothing else I'd rather do. You give me four free hours. That's what I'm going to do. You know, that's how I'm going to fill up. So sure. Now, um, I've, I had a couple, you know, I, I've talked to a few people in the last 
week or so, uh, told him that I was talking to you and, you know, a few people who knew who you were and few people who just uh-huh. knew, um, you know, cause I know different artistic people knew that I knew someone who has, uh, written several books. I mean, I know a few people at this point who have written several books, but, um, uh, some of them were interested in the whole self-publishing thing. Cause I think a lot of people who have, you know, never, n- never delved into, publishing or creating something and then putting it out into the world. Um, how, how difficult was it, um, you know, changing gears from having a publisher to going in the self publishing route? There's a learning curve. Yeah. You, you know, you, there's a lot of information that you have to learn, but the publishing, the self publishing community is incredibly generous with sharing that information. So the resources are definitely out there. And I mean, you can pay for courses and things that will get you all of it in one go, but anyone who can use Google can find it as well. Yeah. Um, So publishing the, the fire in the glass, there was a lot, a lot of hours I had to log just learning things. And I know I still have a few more, you know, there's more things I've got to learn as this, as this endeavor goes forward. And I start digging more into the, that phase where I'm going to be more aggressively marketing the book, et cetera. Um, but it's not insurmountable, you know, by any means. And, and there are simpler ways to do it than what I did. You know, I, I've, I, the fact that I did it in print, um, is a, is a more complex approach. If you just want to do an ebook and put it up on Amazon, you know, um, that's, that's pretty easy to do. Yeah. Uh, and they, they kind of walk you through the whole process. The, the hard part, if you really want to, if you're not just doing it to share it with friends, if you really want to have a shot at being successful in it is, you know, is, is to creating a really good product and, and being brutally honest with yourself about the quality of your work yeah. and where it's at and what needs to be done to it to bring it up to the top level and being unafraid of, you know, if you're a graphic designer, then great. You can do your own cover. And if you're not, don't, yeah. you know, um, be prepared to pay professionals to, um, to do the professional work that needs to be done to bring your book up to spec. And that, that includes, you know, editing and proofreading and layout and everything else. Yeah. Um, you don't have to, but if you want, if you're trying to do it, if you're trying to make a business out of it, if you, if you want to be earning money off your art, that's what's required, you yeah. know? So. Excellent. Right on. Yeah. It's, uh, <clears throat> there's a, there's a, um, book project that I've been involved with for several years where it's, it's laid dormant for the better part of two years, but it's, uh, now active again. Um, my part was finished, uh, you know, two and a half years ago, but, uh, mm. but, um, th- now the layout process has been going, going on and I've been getting proofs and stuff like that. And it's a hundred percent, I would agree, you know, paying, <laughs> paying someone who knows what they're doing as far as graphic design and layout is, is essential because, um, yeah. while, while, you know, I, I feel like I have at least a, a bit of an understanding about, um, you know, art in itself, that is such a foreign concept to me. And it's not something that, uh, I'm even, I would even begin to try and tackle. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing is know, know your limits and don't cheap out. Yeah. At the end of the day, the biggest thing that you have to invest in a career in writing is your time to write the damn book. Yeah. And any, and, and spending, you know, a few hundred bucks after that to have a professional do your cover is chump change. 
when yeah. you think of the number of hours you put into, you know, making this thing, giving it life, yeah. you know? Um, so that's, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Be honest with yourself about what you can do. Um, there, yeah, and 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 budget appropriately, and all, you know, and, and you don't have to do it all at once too. Like if you maybe you've got to maybe you've got to take a while to earn the money to do it, and you you put your book out with kind of a filler cover just so that you know you can get some people starting to read it. Yeah, you got some people starting to read it and give you reviews and stuff, but and you can always update the cover. But it, you know, it, you're gonna you're gonna want to think that way for the long term. Sure. Sure. Sorry, I'm getting munchkins. Yeah, I, munchkins I, are here. I hear the uh, <laughs> the, the anxious vo- little voices. Um, yeah. So I won't keep you much longer. But um, so just kind of going back to you know the question that had been asked to me at the beginning of the year. Um, what's what's something or a couple somethings that you're looking forward to for the the rest of this year? What am I looking forward to? I'm looking forward to um, writing and and doing it well, you know, I just yeah. uh, spending, spending time doing that and just digging into it. Um, I'm excited for when I can see my friends and my family again. Sure. You know, I miss everybody and I'm hope I'm hoping we get to the point where this year we can do that. Yeah. Um, and otherwise I don't know that I'm looking forward to a whole lot cause I'm pretty happy in the now Sure. <laughs> sure. there. I mean, I, I I'm sure there's going to be fun things down the pipeline, but we're, we're enjoying ourselves even in the middle of all this craziness. So, Fantastic. Um, so if someone listens to this and wants to get a hold of a, a physical copy of fire in the glass, uh, what's the, what is your, uh, what is your preferred method for them to acquire it or, or one of the preferred methods? I prefer if they order it from their local independent bookstore. Okay. Um, any, any indie bookstore can get it. So they, they can just call them up and, and tell them what the book they're looking for. Um, if they live in the seacoast of New Hampshire area where we both are, yeah. uh, they have copies at the Water Street bookstore. In Exeter. Um, yep, in Exeter. So, uh, but, I, you know, the bookstores need help right now, so that's the first thing. And it also just it makes more booksellers aware of the book, so sure. that's why it's good for me. Um, you know, and it's, uh, if, you, if, if you don't mind waiting for a couple of days for them to get it, it's honestly, they're going to get it just as fast as Amazon would get it to you. So, sure. you know, why not? Why not? How about the little guy? How about the little guy? Yeah. Awesome. Well, um, it's, it was great to talk to you as always. I look to look forward to the time when I can actually see you face to face again. Me too, my friend. Yeah. Me too. Um, and, um, I, I haven't finished it yet, but I'm really enjoying the book so far. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Thanks, Jackie. Good to talk to you, my friend. You too. Bye. Bye.